Howdy, friends, and thanks for tuning in to another edition of TGC Midweek. My name is Jacob, here with Michael Novak at the proverbial and literal kitchen table. Uh, Michael, how are you, sir? Good. It's a, You can't see it. It's a card table. It is a card table. Yeah. Kitchen table. But budget's tight Literally for TGC card, Midweek. card table. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, how have things been for you? Good week so far? Good week, yeah. Yeah, that's good. Feel the cold front coming through? Man, it feels great. It was nice so and muggy windy. yesterday. Yeah. 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 This is this is San Antonio for you. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Well, uh, before we get into our usually scheduled programming today, we did get a couple of listener questions that we want to tackle. Um, we started this podcast really as a question and answer format, yep. and it's kind of morphed since then, but kind of always keeping that as uh, one of the pillars that's holding up. It's our first maybe. true love. That's right. That's right. Questions. Yes. Um, a couple of questions here about that are sort of follow ups to the congregational meeting that we had last week. First one, first one is about the the leadership training that you mm-hmm. mentioned uh, starting this summer. Really, um, primary purpose is to is for uh, folks interested in formal office in the church. But yep. you also said that this was open to everyone. So this yes. question is really around, um, you know, in the PCA, uh, elders and deacons are reserved for men. Mm-hmm. So why is this uh, leadership training open to men and women? Yeah, it's true in our denomination that uh, formal office. Being elder and deacon is uh, limited to men only. We believe that that's how the Lord set up his church and how we read scripture. But there are also lots of leadership and ministry opportunities Mm -hmm. that are available at Trinity Grace for both men and women. And so I think of women leading Bible studies, women helping lead neighborhood groups, um, women uh, training and shepherding our kids, Mm -hmm. uh, whether it be in the nursery or TGC kids. Um, and then women coming alongside other women uh, in women's ministry activities. Mm-hmm. And so while one of the aspects of this leadership training is going to be honing in on those men that God is calling to lead us in the office of elder or deacon, um, it's not going to be the only thing yeah. that we talk about. Um, really, the class is, is going to be about um, reform theology. Uh, it's going to be our uh, about our theological standards. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to look at the Westminster Confession of Faith, the larger and shorter catechisms. We're going to spend some time looking at our BCO, our Book of Church Order, which is a part of our constitution as a denomination and a church. Um, and then we're going to be talking a little bit about um, our particular distinctives as a local Reformed church in mm-hmm. Northwest San Antonio. And so... It's going to be in-depth, and it's going to be required for those men that want to stand for elder or deacon, but it is going to be beneficial for everybody Mm -hmm. um, that would want to come through to learn more about Reformed theology and our particular denominational distinctives. Yeah, what do you think about this idea of saying— you know, to women in particular, hey, you're invited to this training, but that's it. <laughs> you know, sure. it stops there. Well, you. I just don't think that that's a fair assessment yeah. um, of what I intend to make this training to be. Um, I think they they come and they're being trained to lead. Mm-hmm. Um, now, there's there's more to leadership than just formal leadership. Mm-hmm. I mean, you probably know just as well as anybody else that informal leadership can sometimes have more oh, yes. um, influence Absolutely. than a formal leader. Yeah. And so we want to make sure that our whole congregation is biblically literate, um, is trained for leadership, um, and that includes uh, our women as well. Yeah. And even the theological education that you mentioned, I don't know, it's one of my sort of uh, pet things, I guess. I think theological education for the lay person in the church 
men, women, kids, mm-hmm. um, is vitally important. I think it's something that the American church has lost sure. by and large. Um, yeah. So I just think that alone is is important. And the other thing is, um, I mentioned it on Sunday, but didn't get a chance to uh, really flesh it out much, is that once men are nominated to these uh, particular offices, we'll have a little bit of extra training mm-hmm. specifically geared to them um, after that nomination happens. And so... Um, there will be a little bit more specialized training gotcha. um, once those men are nominated by our congregation. Yeah. Um, we did a series on this a couple of months ago, maybe a year ago, actually, on church government and about qualifications for elders and deacons and some of the training they go to. So if listeners are interested, mm-hmm. uh, dig back into the uh, far recesses of the yep. TGC archives and, and pull up that church government series. And the other thing I'll mention, too— uh, on that topic is if you're interested in kind of dipping your toe in a little bit, first Timothy chapter three mm-hmm. and Titus chapter one. If you went and read those two chapters, they lay out the qualifications that you're looking for with elders and with deacons. And it's interesting uh, that those characteristics um, tend to be character qualities, yeah. uh, qualities of character and integrity and morality that we're looking for um, in terms of men shepherding our church and serving our church in the role of deacon. Sure. And so there's going to be lots of more information coming uh, in the next few months about what we should be thinking about, praying about, and looking for as the Lord moves us into identifying formal leadership for our church. So stay tuned. Yeah. And so those classes will start May 3rd? May 3rd, Sunday evenings. We're going to try to do five to 6.30 in the evening. Nice. Um, there at Lutheran High School. Cool. Sounds great. Uh, another question here about mission partners. So you mentioned in the meeting on Sunday that we had five mission partners that the church partners with. Um, this question was just about sort of, um, you know, who these different groups are. And, and I guess we can distill it by saying this. What do we mean when we say we partnered with a certain group? Yeah. Uh, so when I say we're partnering with a group, I mean we are financially supporting mm-hmm. them as a mi- ministry or mission agency. Yeah. And so they're in the 2020 budget. Um, last year, we had two mis- ministry partners in the budget. Um, well, we technically had three. Uh, we had RUF, Young Life, and Boxes of Blessing. Um at the end of last year, we also added Grace House and Reach South Texas uh, to our budget. Mm-hmm. And so we currently have five ministries or mission agencies that we're supporting as a church financially. Yeah. That's what I mean when I say ministry partner. So how can folks in the church be um, actively involved in uh, helping out with this partnership? Yeah. And so each one would have different uh, ways that you could get involved Um you know, RUF is our denominational campus ministry, and some people might not know this if they're new to Trinity Grace, but when we planted back in 2018, we planted in conjunction with mm-hmm. RUF at UTSA. Yeah. It was very intentional to send a church plant to uh, be near the campus that we were planting an RUF chapter on. Yeah. And so... Um, We received some funding because we are a part of this tag team approach with church planting and RUF planting Mm -hmm. at the same time. Um, And it meant that we were committed um, to be uh, an anchor church for that RUF chapter. And so uh, ways that you can get involved are Curtis and Marion Castleberry are the leaders of that particular RUF chapter. They're always looking for folks that are willing to bring meals Mm -hmm. 
uh, to their uh, large group meetings, to their Bible studies. Um, there are opportunities just by way of being at Trinity Grace when you see the three to five college students that walk through our doors. Yeah. It would be worthwhile thinking about taking them to lunch after church, mm-hmm. um, to inviting them into your home so that they can get to know you and your family and your children. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, you can always pray for RUF and the work that God's doing there on campus. Um, and so there's some formal ways that we've offered in the past and uh, continue to offer now. In fact, there's a sign-up sheet on our missions table on Sunday morning where if you want to bring a meal to their Monday evening Bible study, you can sign up to do mm. that um, and maybe even stick around and eat with them if mm-hmm. you'd like. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, those are ways that you can get involved with RUF. With Young Life, um, we have got a few folks in our congregation, you being one of them, yeah. Um, you serve on the committee, mm-hmm. um, which uh, kind of oversees the direction of Young Life and um, in the fundraising aspect of things, if I'm understanding it yeah, correctly. Yeah, that's, that's right. Um, we've got some other guys, uh, folks that people might not know, that actually go to um, Young Life Club mm-hmm. and serve as adult volunteers. Mm-hmm. And so Curtis and Nellie Aguirre are always looking for Carlisle. Oh, Carlisle. <laughs> Sorry, Carlisle, if you're listening in. I love you, brother. Um, <laughs> Carlisle and Nellie Aguirre um, are always looking uh, for people um, to come alongside them and volunteer at club yeah. uh, with campaigners. Um, and so if you're brave enough <laughs> to want to hang out with high school students, um, you can always uh, see Carlisle and he'll point you in the right direction there. Obviously, with all of our ministry partners, they could be on your prayer list. Mm-hmm. Um, you could actually encourage Carlisle and Nellie on Sunday mornings and ask them specifically how you could be praying mm-hmm. for them um, or how you could tangibly help them. And I'm sure that they'd come up with some ways. Yes, there's definitely some ways. And so um, with uh, what are our other ministry partners here? Let's talk about um, Grace House. Mm-hmm. Um, very excited about this particular ministry um, that seeks to rehabilitate women that are coming out of incarceration. It's a nine-month program. They live at the Grace House, which is over near Lackland Air Force Base. And ways that you can get involved there is they're always looking for folks to come and teach classes. Mm. And so knowing that it's a nine-month program, they've got to keep these ladies busy And they're constantly pouring into them, whether it be practical classes on things like nutrition, which one of our ladies goes Mm. and has dabbled in that a little bit and teaching them in in that area, or financial um, classes, which another person in our congregation goes in order to teach those Mm. classes on a regular basis to the ladies. To whether uh, to to also just going down and helping with the house, the property itself. We've got another man in our congregation that goes and does handyman stuff mm-hmm. for the ladies there that they can't do on their own. And so there's ways that you can get involved if you'd like. If you'd like to know more about that, you can see me, and I can connect you uh, with Leanne, who is the director there at Grace House, and she is she would love to have you down. We've also had a group of ladies go down and do uh, give the ladies jewelry, the mm-hmm. Grace House ladies jewelry, and encourage them um, in different ways. Uh, and so gr- lots of ways to get involved there. I mentioned on Sunday, uh, we want to invite them to our marriage conference, and that'll be maybe an easy way to get to know some of those ladies yeah. um, over the weekend of our marriage conference. So obviously, too, you can pray for Grace House. Mm-hmm. So um, the other th- uh, ministry partner we'll mention is uh, Reach South Texas. 
Um, and so that is a church planting uh, network that has recently been formed in our presbytery, our South Texas presbytery, that is focused on planting a new church in South Texas per year, Wow, a PCA church. And so right now, we are actually one of the church plants that has received funding from Reach South Texas. We're currently um, receiving that funding now through May. Mm-hmm. That's when our funding will be cut off year three. Um, but we also want to give back so that we can see more churches like Trinity Grace planted throughout South Texas. Um, and the next church plant that's happening with Reach South Texas is actually happening down in Harlingen on mm-hmm. the border. Um, and uh, that's going to be uh, the church plant that is on tap for this year. Next year, Dripping Springs, which oh, okay. is kind of a bedroom community of Austin, uh-huh. um, is going to be on tap. And then the year after that, uh, hopefully another church plant in San Antonio awesome. might be on the radar. Yeah. And so uh, we give back a percentage of previous year's tithes and offerings mm-hmm. to that ministry. Um, and at this point, I believe we give um, 1.25% back yeah. okay. of previous year's offerings. So then lastly, boxes of blessing, boxes kind of a of seasonal blessing, ministry. Seasonal ministry. Um, and it's, it's interesting because we do give to boxes of blessing as a nonprofit. But we're basically paying for our boxes. Mm-hmm. And so um, we we basically paid for 250 boxes, um, went and packed those boxes, and then came back and gave those boxes out to needy families in our area. Yeah. Um, and so it does cost us something. They're in the budget as a ministry partner. But we also tangibly receive something that we give back out sure. in that case. And there will be more information about how to get involved with those activities closer to the holidays. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, so those are some great questions. Um, I think now's probably a good time to dive into our regularly scheduled programming. So uh, picking up on our covenant series, last week we talked about the three overarching covenants that you see uh, in Scripture. So the covenant of redemption, which is the intra-Trinitarian covenant. Hmm. God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, covenanting with one another. God the Father elects a people. God the Son redeems a people, and then the Spirit applies that redemption um, in a salvific way. Uh, the covenant of works, God created Adam to uh, in a covenant of works to obey the law of God, sort of t- typified by the probation of not eating from the, the tree of life. Adam eats from the tree of life. As our federal head, the rest of humanity suffers the consequences in his um, you know, feels the effects of sins mm-hmm. uh, kind of forever, um, or at least right now. And then Genesis 3.15 is kind of where the covenant of grace begins, which is what we're going to talk about today. Yep. What, that's probably a good place to start. Why don't sure. you kick it off? Yeah, and um, it's important to remember uh, what covenant is. Um, covenant provides the context to build a relationship in some ways. Um, and so... Um, uh, as we look at the covenant of grace, which spans from Genesis 3.15 really to the end of the Bible mm-hmm. itself, um, it's, it's the story of the covenant of grace, but there's different administrations that you mm-hmm. see happening underneath the giant umbrella of covenant of grace. And five covenants specifically that you see, you see a covenant made with Noah, a covenant made with Abraham a covenant made with Moses, a covenant made with David, and then you see the new covenant, Mm -hmm. which is mentioned in Jeremiah. Um, And so these are the five different kind of administrations of the covenant of grace. Um, And the first you see happens in Genesis chapter 9, chapter 8 and 9, 
with Noah. Um, Noah is uh, saved from the flood with his three sons and their wives um, because basically the world um, was experiencing rapid moral decay Mm -hmm. uh, from Genesis chapter 3 until Genesis chapter uh, 6 when the flood began. Um, and after the flood subsided, Noah, you know, lands on the top of a mountain, comes out of the ark. And this is what you read, uh, in Genesis chapter eight, beginning in verse 20, it says, then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. And into your hand they are delivered." Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. As I gave you the green plants, I give you everything, but you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is its blood. And for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast, I will require it, and from man. From his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. And so this is the covenant that God makes with Noah, and the sign of the covenant uh, in this instance is the rainbow. Mm-hmm. Um, God puts a bow in the in the um in the sky uh, to remind mankind of his love and his faithfulness and his mercy in promising never again to destroy the earth because of its moral decay. What do you think about this idea that the bow is bent upwards, so aiming towards heaven, yep. sort of being a sign of God, the bow point, God pointing the bow at himself, promising to take the uh, the curses upon himself. What do you think about that? Yeah, it's inter- it's interesting. And if you read the Jesus Storybook Bible like we did with our kids, that's a beautiful um, way that Sally Lloyd Jones describes this sign of this covenant that the the battle bow is pointed upwards towards mm-hmm. God, and that's an important aspect of covenant that we'll talk about. That God promises to do certain things and expects certain things from us. But he takes the punishment, uh, the curses of the covenant upon himself mm-hmm. when we fail. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's a beautiful picture. Um, I don't know if we could say definitively that that is, um, was the intention in God's right. mind yeah. um, uh, or if it's just a coincidence uh, because it's not explicitly mentioned, I don't right. think, anywhere in no. Scripture that it's a battle bow pointing towards God. But – it's a sign that I think, yeah, it, it's it's a beautiful symbol, um, sure. and so I, I just hate to comment on it. I, I, you know, I've got you know Old Testament professors in my mind, you know, saying <laughs> it's sweet, you know, and it's yeah, it's, yeah it is a little bit. I'm of not a cute quite idea, sure. It's yeah. yeah, it could be there on purpose, but we're just not sure. Sure. Well, let's back up just a little bit and talk about um, how we got to know in the first place. Uh, when you read Genesis three through Genesis six especially as you're looking at the genealogies of the Canaanite line and the Sethite line. Mm-hmm. Well, there's one point right there is, is immediately when the covenant of grace is uh, enacted and the Cain and Abel story takes place, the, the line of humanity is sort of split between this holy Sethite line and this reprobate Canaanite line. Mm-hmm. And when you look at the genealogies side by side, they're sort of um, 
there's some literary shaping going on to line up the genealogies in a way to make a point. Um, so one plausible read of this is that there's actually a lot of time that transpires between um, Genesis 3 and the flood, even though it only takes place o- mm-hmm. over the course of a couple chapters. You really get this idea that there's this entire world that was created, had a flourishing culture, and then uh, gets to the flood, which is sort of the judgment event. Mm-hmm. Coming from the flood, you have the covenant with Noah, which in many ways is a recapitulation of the original creation creation covenant. You have the cultural mandate pretty much just restated, only now it's under the auspices of grace instead of the works principle. Yep, that's right. And I mean, you see it when uh, God uh, commands Noah to be fruitful and multiply, uh, team on the earth and multiply in it. Um, it really is, uh, in a sense, a recreation mm-hmm. that God is establishing with Noah and his family um, that comes from the Sethite line. Um, the righteous line, mm-hmm. um, Adam and Eve's uh, son that they have after the Cain and Abel incident. And so um, it's a, yeah, a recapitulation of that uh, uh, um, creational mandate that God gives to Adam and Eve back in Genesis chapters uh, one and two. Um, and then you see, I guess, what are the stipulations yeah. here? That is that is the command. Mm-hmm. Um, it's be fruitful and multiply. Um, you do that, Noah, and I won't you know, devastate the earth again with flooding Mm -hmm. and I will give you some stability in the seasons. Mm -hmm. Uh, I love how it says um, for uh, as long as the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. So is God's promise to maintain the seasons, as you mentioned, but also not to flood the earth again, conditional on Noah's fulfillment of the cultural mandate? Uh, No. Yeah. well, I mean, in the covenant uh, paradigm, you would say that is the condition. Mm-hmm. Um, but as we'll see with all of the covenants, um, mankind doesn't necessarily keep the condition mm-hmm. uh, like he should. And so that's where the whole rainbow idea comes in beautifully mm-hmm. is when Noah and his descendants uh, failed to keep this covenant perfectly. God's going to take upon himself the curses of right. the covenant. And so this is where, you know, this type of covenant we see God it's basically a covenant of promise, God promising to do something, even if it's framed in this sort of conditional language, mm-hmm. um, you know, the condition, the conditions, uh, basically God is promising to do something. So the conditions, even though it they kind of feels like they're there sort of on a supernatural plane, God is, is promising to fulfill all those. Yeah. And there's not, um, there's not explicit curses yeah. in this particular covenant, like we're going to see uh, in the covenant uh, that God makes with Moses. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Lots of uh, blessings and curses uh, come alongside For that sure. covenant. This one, you're right, is a little bit more uh, focused on the promise mm-hmm. uh, of what God's going to do. Certainly more to say about that when we talk about the Abrahamic covenant. Um, we'll probably get into that next week. One more point I want to hit on, on this idea of the Noahic covenant. Um, capital punishment. So it seems as though God is basically saying, you know, when when somebody kills somebody, mm-hmm. you kill that person. Yep. So what's going on there? Well, this would be uh, a proof text um, that people would go to uh, to support the idea of capital punishment. Another proof text that you'd see is Romans 13, when Paul talks about the civil government not bearing mm-hmm. the sword in vain, um, that they hold... Uh, they hold the the capital punishment in their hands as uh, a representative um, that is duly ordained yeah. by God to um, uh, to to uh, execute um, that that particular punishment. 
Um, and so, yeah, I mean, this is exactly where uh, folks would go in order to defend that stance, um, that life is so precious that if you take life, your life should be taken yeah. um, in punishment for, um, for that action. Yeah. What I think is interesting here, too, it, it, we don't want to just write this off as sort of a um, throwaway proof text for, for capital punishment. We have to remember, when we go back to Genesis 3.15, there's the seed of the woman and the seed of Satan. And so when we read all of Scripture, it's all about, until we get to the advent of Christ, it's all about when is the capital S seed of the woman coming. And so the way that I read this is that is that uh, capital punishment is an institution of God's common grace to uh, restrain the evil of mankind so as to... Um, ensure the continuity of the seed of the woman ultimately being fulfilled in Christ. Sure, that's a great way to look at it. And the other thing to keep in mind in context, this comes right on the heels of the Cain and Abel event Mm -hmm. uh, where murder occurs. And so um, this would have been fresh on Noah's and his family's mind, this story. Um, And uh, as Moses is writing it, um, he is leading the people through a desert as well. Uh, and he has to. Uh, what is the what is the authorial intent? Um, well, he's trying to keep law and order mm-hmm, in place mm-hmm. with these hundreds of thousands of people that are walking through the desert for forty years. Um, and one of the ways that God does that, apparently here uh, through this story, is to say, um, "Look, there's consequences mm-hmm. uh, for taking another person's life, and these are what they are." Yeah. So I think that's probably a good point to end it here. Um, We'll pick up next week talking about the Abrahamic covenant and continuing to trace all these administrations of the covenant of grace. Um, didn't get quite as far as we wanted to this yeah. week. We had a couple of questions we wanted to address. Uh, always love doing that. So uh, as you have questions, you can email them to michael at trinitygracesa.org, or you can text them to uh, the number that you'll find on the back of the, of the bulletin. Michael, before we sign off, anything for the good of the group? Not from me. Not from you. Okay. Well, we'll leave it there. Thank you all for tuning in to TGC Midweek. We'll see you next time.